Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and today I'm excited to have Amanda Duhamel, who's the founder and CEO of Fiveable, an education and technology company committed to unlocking opportunities for young people through high-quality content, supportive communities, and interactive life experiences. Before starting Fiveable, she was a COPS uh, member at Teach for America, and then. AP World and AP Human uh, Geography teacher at Skyline High School. Uh, the startup has raised more than $4.2 million uh, in known venture capital today from investors, including BDG Ventures, uh, Metroda Ventures, Matchstick Ventures, Green City Venture Capital, Sparrow Ventures, and Serena Williams. She's done a bachelor's from Boston University as part of the OnDeck Skill Program. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So, you know, how did you get your start in uh, startups and what got you really interested to uh, work there? Yeah, for me, I I was not in the startup world before I was a teacher. I taught in a high school, a public high school in Oakland. Um, Never really thought that I would go into business or startups or tech. and, And then it was really just some of my former students that were reaching out to me for support after I had left the classroom that got me really thinking about how tech and building a business online could really scale my impact beyond what I could do in my classroom. And so I, I really just kind of, I just started building and, you know, really like looking for a lot of resources to help me kind of piece together all the gaps that I maybe had and how I understood how to do that. But um, for me, it was really just kind of, it just kind of happened to me in a way, like it just sort of happened overnight. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, when you, when you look at, uh, solving the problem of five of the, uh, you had already, you know, spent five years, uh, w- uh, you know, working as a teacher. Uh, did you look, look at a problem that it could be, uh, a really big, uh, you know, market, uh, size and, you know, you could, you could really scale it up and uh, make it a tech product. I definitely did. I think for, for Fiveable, it was always about, when I was in the classroom, the ways that I was supporting students extended beyond the school day, extended beyond the classroom. It wasn't just about, you know, the AP subjects I was helping them with. It was a lot of other layers to that. And at my school, I could see that the ways that the schools in the district was were supporting students just wasn't enough, that the gaps for students were just massive. And what my students were experiencing in Oakland was no different than what students would experience in really any city around the world, any, any place, there are students that have these gaps. And what I knew was that students were already going online to find other students to help them in this like kind of underworld of like student to student support on Reddit and discord and all these places. And what they needed was a dedicated platform, something that could keep them safe, something that could connect them to each other and, and help to bridge the gap between what their schools were providing and what they actually needed. And so I I knew that the problems I was solving were really for every teenager in the world. Um, But I I just sort of started with what I knew, which was AP. And and that is a much smaller group. That's 3 million students that felt manageable. And so I kind of went for that first. And now we're thinking about how to scale beyond that. All right. And, uh, you know, uh, since since you have a background as a as a teacher, and how did you go about getting your initial uh, first customers, and how did you you know uh, 
did you did you also code for your for your stock? I, I don't code. I I never thought of myself as technical, but now I do think of myself as technical. I just don't code. So I I use a lot of no code tools. And I I feel I when I was teaching, I didn't use too many because I it just wasn't an, something I had access to, but as I started to build, the things that were driving me were how do I how do I create a really good experience for students and how do I reach more students that need this? And so I just started building, you know, different different like email campaigns and posting on different social sites and and just kind of trying to find where students were and go to that those spots. Like they were already congregating, they were already sharing resources. And so just kind of making myself helpful to those communities is how I found the first groups of students and, and through teachers and, you know, like getting to other teachers to share what I was doing with their students. You know, that, that first group of AP students I supported, there was like, I think probably 2,500 kids that year. And they were from around the world. There was a group of students in Dubai. They were waking up at 5 a.m. to listen to the streams. There were plenty of students from Oakland. There were students from across the, across the U.S. And so I just, I just kind of went where the students were and kind of had like taped together whatever I could with like, you know, using tools that like teachable, like Zapier, like all these different things that got, I could then build this platform without actually building the platform. That's, uh, that's interesting. And, um, uh, you know, you know, when it comes to Fiber, you know, who, who creates the, the study guides and, you know, how do you, how do you live stream your sessions? All the study guides that we have are created by students and teachers. So we have a pretty big group of creators that, it's it's sort of half and half students and teachers and everything that gets written is also edited by both a student and a teacher so that you know on the teacher side you get you know authority and it's like factual and correct and on the student side it's like fun and it speaks the language of students they add the emojis and the gifs and you know all those little fun pieces um, but all the content we create in-house and then the live streams are also like by a mixture of students and teachers the teacher streams are the ones that are paid and the student streams are free. Oh, okay, got it. And um, and you know, I, I work for a, for a tech startup where uh, we are solving a problem for uh, for students who are preparing for for higher education uh, back in India. But uh, you know, before we could get to product market fit, we had already raised uh, funding, and we assumed that uh, that the uh, it was the students who were the, the uh, decision makers. But it, it we found out that were the parents who were the decision makers. That you know it. Yeah, when it comes to you know uh, uh, a special problem like uh, like what you're trying to solve in AP, uh, who do you think is the, the real customer and and you know uh, who is the decision maker? Finally, yeah, it it's hard. So for us, we we made a conscious decision to focus on students, and we did that for a few reasons. One, no one else does. The other uh, other ed tech companies in this space, they focus on the teachers and the parents and the schools. And because of that, you have this huge gap where, I mean, the reality is that being a teenager today in 2021 is nowhere near the same thing as it was when I graduated high school in 2008. So even as a, you know, a young founder, I still have no idea what it was like, what it's like for actual teenagers today. And so for us, we just, we really wanted to build for the student and that has allowed us to create different types of solutions that 
that nobody else has because the students themselves understand online supports and communities and tools way better than we do even, right? Nice. Um, so the other thing too is that the, as teenagers, even though their their parents and their schools are decision makers on expensive things, they also have a lot more power in like purchase like purchasing power than than we did when we were that age too. And so what we've created is just pricing our paid products really affordably, so that when when you need that live stream because your test is tomorrow, the stream is five dollars it's low enough that the, the student can say, oh, let me just buy this or, you know, hey, mom, can I get this? Or sometimes they just get it on their parents' card and then, you know, mom's like, oh, whatever, it's $5 and you needed it to study. And so just really trying to like build into the student habits is what we wanted to do. Even though we knew that that was going to be hard to, to connect to the pieces, um, we just felt like it's, it's a missed opportunity that other people have not done. Interesting. And, and uh, you know, when, when you see the payments coming and you, it's, uh, is it usually the, the parents or the, or the children who are paying? Uh, for, for the- it's divided. It's, it's pretty split. And it always just sort of depends on, like, a lot of students have, you know, a, an Apple wallet now or like a, they have cards, right? They have right. access to capital or they have a PayPal account. And so just allowing students to pay with the capital that they have um, we can see a lot of different variations. Like sometimes it's the parents paying, sometimes it's the students, sometimes the school pays. Like sometimes a teacher will say, hey, I want to get this for my 30 students. You know, cool. So like those are, we, we have to be able to offer all those different options. But at the end of the day, it's the student that we want to build for. I don't want to build for the parent. I don't want to build for the school. Other people can do that. I want to make sure that we are speaking directly to the students and building the product that they want. And if... It's also sort of like if any adult in their life tells them to sign up, it's automatically not cool, right? Like they don't want to just because my parents told me to or my teacher told me to, that doesn't mean that I want to be there. But if my friend told me to sign up, it's still cool. So we're trying to like stay in the like kind of like cool space too. So it's it's always a fine line for us, but it's it's important that we we do that. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Right, interesting. And uh, you, you know, you're solving the market for three million uh, teenagers. Uh, how many how many students are, uh, does Fiverr have uh, currently? So uh, we of the three million AP students. Uh, one like fun fact is that this month we just passed a million users on our site, um, which is the first time we've ever done that. And by the end, we're not sure where we're going to end up by the end of this month, but we are now reaching, you know, a million users in a month. And so how many of those students, I think a lot of those students are AP students, but we're also seeing a lot of students starting to come to us too for outside of AP. Um, Just, you know, kind of attracting students through different content and and resources that they need. Um, But like I said, like we just go straight to the students. And so we're not really counting the schools, although we do see students from really across the world. Interesting. And uh, are, are these million, uh, you know, uh, users, are, are they all active and uh, are they all paid uh, customers? 
they, well, yeah, they're active, but they're, they're not necessarily paid customers. So a lot of the content and the, the resources we have are free. And, okay. and then the, the, like the crams and the live streams are paid. And so it's, it's a different, it's kind of a freemium model where, you know, most of what, most of the students that, that are on our platform are using different free re resources like study rooms or things like that. Got it. And, uh, you know, when you look at growth marketing strategies, you know, uh, how would you scale up to, you know, from 2,500 customers to 2 million users? Uh, are you using a lot on, on paid acquisition? No, for us, we mostly use SEO and referrals. And so the number one uh, growth growth mechanism for us in the channel is definitely like creating content and ranking on Google. Um, I, I, from the early days, I just, I wanted to be where students are. And when they are doing their homework, they're Googling things, they're Googling those keywords. And so we just started building out content to meet those keywords. And that's driven a lot of our traffic growth. And then the second piece of that is definitely through referrals and um, students who invite other students to study rooms or tell other students to go and study here. So that we've seen those two be the top the top acquisition channels for us. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, it's very interesting that you have your headquarters in uh, Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, why did you start your startup there? And does it make sense to work in, you know, smaller ecosystems? Yeah, I mean, we, I, I was originally living on the, I grew up on the East coast. I went, I taught on the West coast. And so I wasn't based in Milwaukee forever, but we came here two years ago for uh, an accelerator that we did called generator. And after we, the accelerator finished, we just decided to stay because we felt like we had met a lot of people, you know, there's, there is very much a, a, a growing startup ecosystem here. Um, we felt like it also is a small, smaller like you know the smaller vibe and so because of that we could be kind of like you know big fish in the small pond whereas if we move to new york or san francisco we're not the only ed tech company now we're competing for you know attention but in milwaukee it kind of sets us apart it makes us different and so uh, and it's affordable and so i think when you're building a startup i think you're sort of balancing all of those different factors and for us it just really made sense to stay here and to build here yeah, interesting and uh, you know sometimes when you're working in a, in a, in a smaller ecosystem uh, uh, you know it, is it a challenge for you to to scale up the team and get you know high quality people uh, for your for your team uh, not when we're remote. So because we are a fully remote company, we have people who work with us from everywhere. We, but the two, us two founders and a couple of the other people on the team are in Milwaukee. So um, we, we've been able to just kind of build a, you know, 100% online culture for our company and, and hiring people from anywhere, um, while also having like our, you know, kind of HQ in Milwaukee. Uh, and and uh, does the complexity change with time uh, when you, you you know you're scaling your team, uh, especially you know uh, uh, the initial few members are are a generalist, but when you want to focus on uh, you know scaling up your team, you have people uh, who have to be generalist. Uh, you know what, what are your thoughts on that? It definitely changes over time. It I think now we're at twenty people now. The first few people that you hire 
you know, you're kind of, you're like in it together. You're in the trenches. You, um, we didn't necessarily pay ourselves. Then we definitely all were working. We were all marketing. We're all product. We're all, you know, content. We're all part of those things. And then as we've grown, we've, we've just had to get really clear on what it mean, what it looks like to work at Fiveable, what kinds of, what kinds of folks we need, whether that's the skills we need, or also like, you know, what we want people to care about. What is the like, you know, ideal candidate? What is the ideal person to work on this team? It's very different in the early days, like what you need versus what we need now. And now, now we're sort of like planning to grow beyond where we are now. And that will continue to change. Like the, even just the people who join a company when it's like four people are very different than the people who join a company when it's 50, a hundred and beyond, you know, there's a different level of risk that people are willing to take. And um, we've had to just kind of adjust over time. Got it. And, uh, you know, how, how, how do you look at uh, evaluating uh, uh, risk, uh, especially when it comes to making, making, you know, decisions uh, uh, and, you know, what, what has been your attitude towards risk, especially, uh, you know, during the times of uh, pandemic? Yeah, I think that my, my, me personally, like I, I'm not very averse to risk. Like I've always been kind of a risk taker. Um, that's just sort of who I am. But I also think, you know, as I've gotten older, that, that, that has also matured too. And like, it also has always been about like, how much do I have to lose? And so the more we grow, the more we have to lose. So then the, the more we will be like, I'll balance that. But in the early days, there are like specific times where I can remember there being this like fork in the road of, okay, that's the risky decision. That's the safer decision. And I, I just took the risk. I just kept going that path. You know, there was one moment where I had to decide either I could kind of keep doing things as I was doing and building on my own, or I could invest in trying to hire more people. If I do that, we're going to run out of money faster, but we could grow faster. Right. So like just kind of weighing the upside and the risk on that. And every step of the way, I just was like, well, like I got nothing to lose. I want to reach more students. I want to see what, what happens. Let's do it. Let's try to hire people. And that, you know, those decisions were, were the best decisions because I found people who could help me and we were able to grow faster. Um, and so I feel like, I feel like in the early days, I just kind of went for it. And, and still today, I, there's definitely moments where uh, like we just acquired a company called ours. And yep. again, you know, acquire the company or don't acquire the company, right? There's risk involved in both. There's upsides involved in both decisions. Like how do I weigh that as a, as a founder? I have to think about what will be best for us and be okay with like kind of stepping into an unknown space because I really think it will get us into a better space. Right. Interesting. You, you talked about ours, you know, which is I think built by a 16 year old Calyx. Uh, uh, you know, it's, was the acquisition more about uh, how do, how, how do you grow your uh, customer base or was it an addition to, uh, to a product? Um, it's definitely, uh, it was a big part of it was about product. I mean, I think the, what really impressed me about Calix was just his, the way that he was thinking about the same problems that we were, right? How do students learn together online? That was what we were, I've always been building around and that's what he's been working on too. And he, as a student, 
knows better than I do, right? Like he's in it right now. He's 16, living during a pandemic, built this tool for his him and his friends, scaled it to include more and more students from around the world. And the more we saw what he was doing, the more we, we just could see that that was part of the future that students were gonna gravitate to anyways. And so we really wanted to bring him and, and ours into the Fiveable ecosystem so that we could, you know, continue to give students the best experience possible, like driven by that student um, vision. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Uh, you know, I believe, uh, you know, Kayaks will also be part, part of part of the team. Uh, and, you know, how, how do you look at, you know, senior uh, hires, especially in, in the leadership team? How, how do you look at them, you know, managing the, the team, especially if you have a very young workforce? So our team is unique because we have students on every, in every department. We actually have about 120 student interns right now. Those are all paid students, all mostly high school, if not like just just barely in college. Um, and it creates this vibe on the team that every everyone on our team, whether they are, you know, the CEO or all the way to like any any employee, they work directly with students. And there's this respect that happens because of that. It's not we don't see young people as like that they don't know what they're doing or that we are better than them. Like, we just don't see that at all. We, we see them as like very inspiring, you know, high growth potential people. And we want them to be a part of our team. And that kind of creates this vibe that, you know, we're very collaborative across that, across the different teams and across from a full-time person to a, a student. Um, as we grow, you know, we're, we're definitely going to be leaning more into some, some more like senior hires in the next year plus um just really kind of building out some of the top layers of of fiveable too but no matter what even those hires are still going to work directly with students too it, it's so important because every little decision that we make even if we feel like it's small a student has an opinion on it and i want to know what that is because sometimes it's completely different than what i would think and i want to know why and and then that can inform a better decision I think it's uh, super interesting that you have students uh, who are like the decision makers and your, and your real customers in, in, in your team. Uh, uh, but uh, are you are they working you know part time with the with the company at like intern or working full time? No, so they work part time. I mean, even Calix, like he's at school. He, they go to school, so they the most that they work is um, like ten hours a week for most of the students uh, because they they're they're full time students, and so. We, if you, if you think about it, like when I was their age, I worked at a party store. I worked at Staples. Like I, I had retail odd jobs, you know, babysitter. This is sort of like the new thing. For, like these are kids that are, are heading into a world that is remote, that is online, that is very tech enabled. And so we're able to now teach them in their part-time jobs, how product works and marketing and social media and building no code tools and how to inter how to be on a Slack team. You know, it's like they're learning all these skills that we know is actually going to benefit them a lot as they grow up. 
Um, but they're able to kind of, you know, work for 10 hours a week answering chats or thinking about new TikTok things to post. And so they have a blast. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's like a dream job for them. Right, right. Interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of time what happens with, with startup founders is, uh, uh, you know, they, they do have self-doubt uh, about about the product and sometimes uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, it becomes difficult to manage it. Uh, how would you advise, you know, early stage founders uh, to, to look at how, how, how to grapple with their own self-doubt? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I experience that all the time. There's yesterday I was like, what am I doing? Am I the right person to do this? Like, am I going to figure this out? And you, you, the roller coaster is real. And like, sometimes you'll feel good one minute and the next minute you feel you don't. I think the thing to remember is just that even the people that we look up to, even the people that have done this before us, that, that we see as successful, they're just people. They're literally just people and they're no different than me. You know, they've just, they've just done something before I have, you know, they've had to figure it out. They maybe weren't as prepared as I think they are, right? They, they, they probably felt the same way. And, and a lot of times what I find is that I think before I started Fiveable, I thought that there was some prescribed path that you had to do. And there just isn't, there are no rules. There's just people making the best decisions that they can. And that's really all it comes down to. And so I think the more that I've just given myself the, the space to just step into that and, and, and build the confidence for myself, the better, because it just means that I can build anything that I want and I can show these other students and other founders that they can too. There's no, there's nothing to stopping us as long as we just do it. Right. And uh, you know, are there, are there uh, advantages for being an underrepresented founder, uh, which you would have found in your, in your journey to become an entrepreneur? I think that the advantage of being an underrepresented founder is that I'm constantly thinking about underrepresented communities. And frankly, like when I think about the world today, I think it is the underrepresented communities that hold so much power and um, potential for the future. And anyone who's not investing in them is really missing out. And right. And it's like, when, like, if you just think about any, any groups, whether they're in the U S or anywhere in the world, it's like, there's, there is this like unharnessed power of people that have been completely underestimated for centuries, if not, you know, it's constant. And, and these are people like, for me, I'm, I'm building generational wealth here. Like I don't have, you know, like money or, or any kind of like background for my family that is, is supporting me here. Like, this is like, I'm doing this for all of them that kind of drive is, is, is intense. It's like, there's nothing that's going to stop me because, because of that. And because of the students that I'm fighting for too. And so I think the advantage that I have is that I see that I see that, that as opportunity, I'm not building a diverse team because I think I have to, I'm building a diverse team because it will set us apart. We have like superpowers because we see the actual potential in people and our building for those communities. And that's, that will always set us apart from, from, you know, non-marginalized founders. Interesting. And, uh, you know, you, you were able to get, uh, you know, Serena Williams and BBG Ventures to invest in your startup. And how, how did that happen? 
yeah, I mean, we just, I mean, I feel like in the early days, I, I never knew exactly how to go about getting investment, you know, and then the very, when I first started and just kind of build up my skills over time to, to be able to build a deck and tell the story. But at the end of the day, it's about your ability to, to communicate what you're building, the progress you've made so far and what this could be. And that's, that's like every round is like kind of those three things. And that changes over time. You know, what my pitch two years ago is very different than my pitch today. Um, but I think the more that I've been able to meet people and build relationships, like that's huge. Like it's not just the first time you meet someone that they are writing a check, you know, they're, yeah. you are building over time and showing them that this is real. I'm real. What we're doing is real. This is going to happen. It's inevitable. And I, and this is an opportunity then. And so kind of building up that capacity over time and, and then eventually you get people that want to take a risk on you that, that are, they're in, they want to back you. And I think in the early stage, it's about backing the idea and the team more so than anything else. Like they see that this is going to exist and I want to take the bet on this team to do it. Right. And um, Amanda, you've been uh, in, in the, uh, you know, solving problem for AP. Uh, would you also look at, uh, you, you know, uh, other other different markets? Uh, and, you know, what does the uh, growth look like for Fiverr inclusion? A hundred percent. There are three million AP students, but there are like a billion teenagers in the world. And right. when I really think about like what they are experiencing, it's actually very similar in any place. It's you're, it, as a teenager, you're trying to figure out what am I going to do in my life? How am I going to get there? You know, you're trying to understand the systems around you, whether it's the tests that you have to take or the, you know, different schools you have to apply for or the jobs you're trying to look for. You know, you're, you're trying to figure out who you're going to be in the world and, and how you're going to make it happen. And I think that that's where Fiveable can really come in is creating this layer outside of school that makes it so that any young person can can figure out the answers to those questions and can talk to other students that also see, that understand what they're going through and can help them, they help each other, like kind of navigate everything. Right, and uh, you know, uh, uh, I've been part of uh, On Deck Podcast Fellowship. It's been a great experience for, for me. Uh, I believe you've also been part of On Deck Scale uh, Fellowship. And you also had sent out your team uh, to On Deck for, for different uh, of the fellowship programs. Uh, you know, what, uh, why did that happen? And do you think, you know, the learning process for, for teams should happen? Yeah, I've, I've loved On Deck because of the community. I mean, that's the company that we're building. And that's in a lot of ways, the company that on deck is building too. It's ha like, for me, I don't necessarily have a, a lot of other people in my life that know exactly what I'm, I'm experiencing. But when you join an on deck community, all of a sudden you have all these other people that are experiencing the same thing at the same time. And that is what is more powerful than any webinar content, like, conference, like none of those things are as powerful as just like the networks, the people that you can get to know. And so for, for my experience in on deck, that's, what's been the best. And we've, I, I keep looking to sign up as many people on my team as I can, because it just, it gives them, it gives them a, a group, you know, then I want to make sure that they all have 
people that they can talk to, that they can post questions to and say like, hey, we're trying to solve this product problem. Like any ideas here? Has anyone used a platform that can do X? You know, they need places to post those types of questions that I can't help them with. Um, so even like Calix is joining the Catalyst uh, program this summer because there's a lot of young people that are coming together around this model. And that means that he's going to have people to talk to, people who have been acquired before that can help him understand how do I integrate into Fiveable? How do I, how do I make this the best it can be that, you know, I, I can help him, but having someone who's actually experienced that, that he can be friends with that is, is like 10 times better. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the network and community is the best part of our topic. And, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, say that one more time. Yeah, what's your favorite business, business book? Oh, um, honestly, I don't read a lot of books. I, I used to when I was a kid. I've read books so much, but I don't anymore. And I think it's, I sort of instead, I read a lot, but I read a lot of blogs, articles, newsletters, Twitter threads. Um, I, I, I think that those have been the most important for me. Like there's kind of a, you know, Twitter ecosystem that I follow. Um, there are a number of different sub stacks that I'm subscribed to and, and just like other blogs that I'll just go to people that write on medium, people that write on their own sites, that there's just a wealth of information out there that feels, it feels more up to date, I guess, than, than books do in, in a way. Um, but I just have, I've found kind of a home in that, in, in those mediums. Right. No, absolutely. I agree with the Twitter threads and, uh, you know, Substacks, some of them are very useful. And, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started Fiverr, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I think it, it's hard because I think as a first time founder, in some ways that, you know, I have no regrets. Like I had to do the things I had to do because I was learning along the way. But if I were to start a company again, I think there's a lot of work up front that you can do to really, 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 really understand the, the people that you are building for and the solutions that will work. I think in our case, it's been, it's hard because we're, we're kind of a category defining company. Nobody has done what I've done. And okay. so we, we had to experiment a lot and figure out all these things that wouldn't work. And that has kind of gotten us to where we are now. Um, and so I don't know if there was any way to like shorten that time, but I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, being really clear on what, what you want to build in as early as you can. And, and, and do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slapstone? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, I use Notion the most and um, Slack and, and Discord the most. Uh, those are kind of the top ones. The other one that I really liked recently is Superpowered, which kind of just tells me when I have another call coming up, which is just really useful when you're, you know, you get stuck on one thing and then next thing you know, you're like five minutes late for something else. And this kind of reminds you without being annoying, <laughs> which I appreciate. Nice. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Amanda, what, do, what is the best way people can reach out to you and, more, uh, more, and know more about Five yeah, so I would say the best uh, place is, is to follow me on Twitter at Amanda Do Amanda, and um, at uh, fiveable.me is our, our website, and we're going to be hiring and uh, looking for folks that want to join on this mission. 
also we'll put that in the in the show notes uh, thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us i really enjoyed my conversation with you thanks so much appreciate it thanks for listening to the life self mastery podcast where we teach you how to start and grow your online business for more information visit rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com